Welcome to the Outdoor Country Talk Podcast, hosted by Jacob Poole and Jeremy Shaw, where we bring country living and the great outdoors together. Welcome back to another episode of Outdoor Country Talk. All right, Poole, we're back with another episode with our good buddy Keith from GSM Outdoors, but before we dive into that, I got a couple things to run by you. Hit me with it. 59 days and I think 66 days. Do you know what do you know what happens? 59 days 66 teal season? From teal season and dove season, my man. I just uh I was thinking about it on my drive home from work today and I was like, "Man, how far out am I?" And until we get to shoot something, you know, legally and all. <laughs> and uh I like how I'm you, like, I like how you threw that so, in there. Yeah, I mean, you know, shoot something legally. And so I came up, you know, got me a little calculator on my phone, put in this date, put in this date, and boom. Less than two months, we get to uh, we get to shoot some doves. About time to go back to the skeet range, I believe. I went a couple nights ago. I'm going to try to go Sunday. I have not been back in a while, and I need to. And, you know, I know Keith has a product that I use tremendously, and I think you do too, the Walker Game Ears for any time we're shooting skeet and oh yeah that that's a wonderful product to put in put into use at the skeet range because you can you can you can do a lot i think we've covered a little bit of that before but i'll tell you the other thing we're not far off from bow season and i looked at my target today and realized that i might actually need to wax a string and start knocking the dust <laughs> off my bow and seeing if it doesn't need to go over to jake to the shop before i go to shooting very much so that's not far around the corner either. And I've had some pretty decent deer walking around at the house here lately. I've been getting on camera and just seeing from the porch. So, well, I haven't seen. I really hadn't been looking. I got a camera out right now, but goodness, I probably hadn't checked it in a month. But I've actually had to travel the same route to work. This is two 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 days in a row I did, and uh, I seen the same little buck. I say little buck. He's you know he's he's growing on pretty good same spot same morning i'm like man it's easy to pattern this guy right now i mean he's gonna he's gonna turn in pretty to a good one but things a little bit far from my house really worry about him but yeah man just i don't know it's just been the last couple of days just got me in the in the fields i guess you could say well in the fields at the house anytime we get the heavy rains like we've had the last couple of days that creek on the edge of my place starts backing up and as it backs up the deer come in the field more you know, instead of walking the edge of the woods, that's now waterlogged or, or what standing water in it right now. So they, they come out into my fields a good bit better. And, yeah, I've seen several, you know, for Amick County, uh, good little young bucks. Uh, velvet's growing out well. Everything looks really good. So hopefully the kids yeah. will let me bow hunt this year and I can shoot more than a doe and a pig. But <laughs> they have uh, – Beamer, I think we've told you they have shut me down the last couple of years that Diddy's not allowed to shoot a buck because that's something they may be able to shoot later. Uh-huh. So I'm not uh, – I'm on pig duty and uh, and doe duty. <laughs> so, yeah, they want to eat back fresh back strap, but they do not want anything with horns being messed with. Well, you know, that's a great – what is it, the evolution of a hunter. You know, we get to that one point and we've got to pass it on. And, and then we're just out there for the enjoyment. But you've been titled with, you know, the doe killer and hog slayer. So, I mean, you still at least have a title. You know, you just haven't given it all up. 
So no, uh, at least right now I can still shoot some things to where it's not going to be long where I'm guide only. And are, are you are you guys sponsored by any broadhead companies other than New Archery Products? Not at this us? time, no, sir. Okay, no. I, I've got I've got some heads coming down to you, and we've got heads to to give away too. And I know we were going to talk about versus with Casey, but um, we have to have a really good talk about this DK four lineup that we came out with last year, and this thing it, it will devastate. It, it is it is just a beast of a broadhead. And we figured out some stuff when we, you know, I drew it out on a napkin and it all of a sudden hit me. The design engineers for our engineering company, which is Duco Engineering out of Las Vegas, um, they saddled this thing into a, a seek and destroy missile that flies better than anything I've ever shot. And I am not just saying that because I was part of the designer on this. Uh, I'm talking about shooting it out of a 10 point crossbow at 477 feet a second, blowing veins off a field tip uh, at 40, 45, 46, 48 yards, and turning around and then shooting it out of a 50 pound compound. Uh, watching my wife or watching uh, one of the ladies I film, uh, her and her husband, that she shoots, you know, 45 pounds and just hammering a deer and cutting it inside out from start to finish, quartering away. You know, so you're talking about a broadhead that works perfectly for low kinetic energy but will handle the fastest flight there is it's just mean it's called the dk4 from new archery products there's an inch and three quarter model there's an inch and three eighths model well i know you definitely got my attention on it because that anything that leaves a better entry exit leaves a better blood trail and may leave a shorter blood trail so yeah, I'm a big believer in, in four-blade uh, broadheads. Uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of them out there. Uh, I used to shoot way back in the day, rocket steel had four-blade. And, you know, some of the different traditional stuff, muzzies and whatever, as I just progressed through through my archery career, especially shooting uh, a lot of traditional stuff. But what we did on this one was it has a fixed blade in the front of it that is locked but it can cantilever off to one side we call it the impact responsive blade system so it's locked into place but if it catches a rib it folds that blade and kicks it out more out the other side so it's not taking the path of least resistance it's doing uh, a reduction of resistance okay the neat thing about this head is is at real sharp angles you know when you shoot plywood or you shoot anything with this if that blade catches it it kicks off to the outside and that allows your arrow to keep going on the path you intended it. So that's one facet of this. Then, of course, we have the tried uh, 26 years, tried, tested, and true uh, Spitfire bleeder blades. And they've been proven on Spitfire broadheads from the archery products, like I said, for 26 or 27 years. So we added those as bleeders. Now, how it all works as far as punching a beautiful four-blade entrance hole is the they, they, they've – combined fixed blade broadheads before with mechanicals and how they've done it before is they put a great big fix out front and then they have some mechanicals well we know as archers when you hit a target you stretch some hide that thing cuts what cuts this big flappy hole right it's bigger than just the broadhead well the mechanicals have never worked on the back side they're not even deploying they're not catching on anything right you've already cut this this entrance hole through it with the fixed blade so what we did with this one is our mechanicals and the fixed blade edge all impact at exactly the same time. So 
when and, and one of Andy Simo, who is the founder of New Archery Products, one of his greatest patents was shearing off the trophy tip to six thousandths flat. Okay, it feels extremely sharp to the touch. But it's flat. What the flat does is it stretches that hide just a little bit more before all those blades hit it. So you can take a, you know, an inch and a half or inch and three quarter regular Spitfire, and it's going to cut a two and a half or three inch hole. We've all seen it. You know, you shot them with rage or whatever, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you got these like hatchet marks at the side of them, and, and your broadhead is only a two inch broadhead. Well, that, that's because the hide's getting stretched as that arrow hits it, so it cuts a larger hole. Well, with this broadhead, um, the fixed blade and the mechanicals all impact at the exact same time, and it blows a four-blade entrance hole. That's awesome. I mean, that's yeah. you're, you're making a <laughs> – I mean, you can stick your hand in that. I, I, I will send you some of these bladder tests and stuff that I did and some of these deer that got well with it last year. Last year was really our first year. Uh, with it in the fall and it didn't come out well probably didn't come out until september october actually before we were able to get the pro staffers their heads so it wasn't like there was a whole lot of killing done with them other than what our group did but it performed like it was supposed to that's always a positive test yeah, well, it, you know, I know really when you, you, when you go into barrels, you shoot it into plywood, you, know, you do all these different tests that these people swear by. I've never hunted plywood and I've never hunted a steel barrel, but <laughs> I've, I've had to shoot a lot of my broadhead designs through it just to prove it to people. But this one here is outstanding. And I mean, it'll, it'll deliver it. And when it does, it, it's a four, four blade nemesis. You know, a, a two blade, I used to love shooting two blades. But they can seal up pretty quick, and the blood trails can get a little tricky at times, you know, especially if you get into tall brown grass and stuff like that, you know. And let's say you ripped out through your CRP, you know, field or whatever. But you, you know, you get into that three blade, that's great. But you touch this four blade, and it's a cube. I mean, it's a diamond shaped cut, and that will pour some blood out. You know, you guys probably don't run into it as much as we do up north here, um, in in the upper Midwest we have so many uh, pounds of fat reserves on these deer that if you smack them, uh, it's quite possible when you get in October, November, you know, early December, even that their fat, it, it will plug up most every hole. And so you really want to core this thing out, but you don't want to do it by giving up penetration because I'm a big believer in that second hole. Um, sometimes, you know, you shoot out of a tree stand, a lot of people entrance high, you know, hoping it comes out, but you get those fat reserves and it might not be the deal. So you want something that delivers some, some cut and surface and some destruction. No. Yeah. I, I, I experienced that last year whenever, uh, whenever my son and I went to Kentucky and, uh, and you're talking about the, the fat on a deer and how the, you know, the penetration, you know, is a lot different. Now, he didn't shoot it with a bow, but he shot a, he shot a doe up there with a gun and, you know, not to get gruesome here, but the exit wound with a seven millimeter oh eight was plugged up with fat. I, uh-huh. I've never, I've never seen that before. You know, we don't, we just don't have that that kind of deer here in South Mississippi traditionally. But that deer was so fat that I saw that I'm like, my gosh! And I had to ask, you know, my uh, my wife's uncle was up there with hunting on his place, and I was like, man, what is that? He said, that's the fat off of that deer. I said, is that common? He's like, oh yeah. Like, man, that's nothing I've ever seen. And that, that automatically just thought about it like, man, if we shot this deer with a bow, you know, hopefully you get an exit, but, you know, you may not have anything to bleed out of, but maybe the entrance. I don't know. 
Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a, that fat reserves are a tricky, tricky thing. You know, and if you put a good shot on, he's not going that far. You may have to circle the block a few times looking for a spec here. And, and then you're so disheartened, you know, you're looking around and you're finding a drop here and there. And all of a sudden the deer's laying up there. But, I mean, you hit him high and he's got to fill his lungs up before he starts, you know, distributing blood out. And, and you, you sit there and you go, where is he at? Where is he at? I know I hit him good. Well, you know, the fat reserves will plug those holes. So. It, yeah. It's something to be be reckoned with, and you know everybody thinks that you know you can't develop a a, a new cracker, you know, because everybody's changing the flavor of a Ritz, you know, with different broadheads. But this head is different than anything anybody's ever seen. No, I'm excited to get it and test it and play with it because I I know we can put a now, like I was going to say a minute ago. No, we don't have a fat reserve issue. Uh, we may have a briar patch scarring issue or something, but uh, <laughs> no, there's no fat reserve issue down here very often. But, uh, you know, now, like I say, on a hog may be a completely different animal. So, you know, we, yep. it may be maybe different penetration, maybe different exit on it. But that'll that'll be part of the fun is is just seeing how well it works in different areas on different species. So. Well, yeah, I, I talked to you about coming down there and doing a hog hunt and, uh, you know, using some of our boss buck product down there. And we've got some some hog attractants and so on and so forth. But this is this is where the, you know, the, the talk hits the pavement. And that's what I want to do because um, I, I, I want to shoot some hogs. I want to get them at least to the size that they might have a decent shield on them, you know, and then zip them broadside and see what this thing does, because. I have a really good feeling that it's going to destroy them. You know, the the elk that were shot with it last year from, I think, Buck Ventures or one of those the pro uh, TV shows that we sponsor, uh, they were sending pictures of elk, and it, it ripped a fist-sized hole through these things. Yeah, and most of the places well, you're it, hunting elk, you don't want to trail them far. You, you don't no, want him falling I've, off the I've edge had, of the cliff I've and you have to pack them back around. rock cliff down to the basin of it, and I was never so thankful to the group from Primos. We had about six or seven guys with us and with four frame packs because <clears throat> it went down into a hole. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody's so proud of you at that moment. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the fun and the high fives are over when it's over. When you yeah, shoot them, they're done. I'm yeah, betting you got a couple eye cuts and that, you know, like, all right, now go get him. <laughs> yeah, he's yours. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. We'll see you back in the truck. Well, that's uh, <laughs> last year on a duck hunt I was on. The guy was uh, also guides moose hunts, and he was like, man, you know, you need to come up here and moose hunt. Well, I'm like, what does one of those weigh? And he went to talking through it, and it's like, no, thank you. I'm not packing that out. Uh, you know, as much as I love to hunt, shooting that moose is probably like shooting one of my cows in the pasture and he said, oh, no, no, no. He said, the area we hunt, we can drive the ATV right up to them, load them up, no problem. I'm like, okay, hold on. You just got my attention back. Uh, yeah, 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 I'm paying attention. That, that will cost me a little more, but you're telling me I don't have to make six trips in and out to tote this thing? Um, okay, yeah, you've got my attention. Yeah, it's, uh, I know a lot of these shows, that you know, they don't show it very often, but I know a lot of them when they shoot Yukon moose up in Alaska, they're hiring a helicopter to come in and uh, haul that out so they can work on it back at camp, you know, because it's just it's too far. I mean, you know, and a moose is nuts. I filmed Brooks, my business partner for Double Bowl. I filmed him shoot a moose up in Sheridan, Wyoming, and 
the night before we had met a bunch of cowboys, real cowboys in this bar. And, and, and we were having fun talking to them and, you know, just learning the ways, you know, of a real cowboy. And, um, they were going to be staying there for a few days while Brooke shot this thing. So we went back in, we let it, you know, let it, just made sure it was dead, you know, gave it an hour or so, but we went back in and ate lunch and Brooks is like, God, he's like a, you know, a 900 or a thousand pound animal here. How are we going to do this? You know, just me and you. I, I asked the cowboys what they're up to. We've, they've, we've brought out four or five of their horses and, and tied them all on and drug the moose, a gutted moose, drug it right to our truck for us. And then we could fill the coolers. And I, I think it cost us about $200 worth of beer that night, but it was so well worth it. It was frightening. Oh, that would have been worth more than $200 <laughs> worth of beer all, yeah. all day long. Uh, yeah. You know, I've yeah, got... We- and I'm sure you do too. We've got friends that go up in elk hunt each year and, you know, they take mules, they take horses and, you know, it's a, it's a full, they go up for a week or 10 days, two weeks time frame to go and hunt. And, but they maintain that animal all year long to be able to take that animal with them. And it's like, guys, y'all realize you could rent those when you're up there. You know, <laughs> there's outfitters up there that will actually rent you mules and horses. They're like, yeah, we like to take our own. Yeah. And most of the time, instead of taking campers, you know, there's a sleeping quarters in the, the horse trailer. So, you know, they kind of kill two birds with one stone. They stay out and rough it the whole time, and they have a really good time with it. So, Yeah, that's what the fun is about the mountain hunting and stuff like that. It, it's one of those things that you get far enough removed, and, and you're making coffee in a, in a tin pot over a little Bunsen burner over a campfire. You're just throwing grounds in a pot full of water, you know, and, and drinking it that way. By about day two or three, you're just in love with it. By day seven, you don't even want to go back home. Um, you know, there's there's been those times where you just go, I I might not go back. I just might. I might just stick it out here. And Jeremiah Johnson, you know, just hang out out here in the wilderness. What did the What did the man on Jeremiah Johnson say? He said, "I've never been lost." He said, "But I have been turned around for three or four months at a time." <laughs> Yeah, I think I think Tom Sawyer had that same statement somewhere. We've really never been lost. We just took a different way of getting there for two or three months. Well, and with yeah. so much technology nowadays, it is nice to get somewhere where you don't have cell phone service. I thought the first time we went, you know, having small children, I'm like, I'm going to hate this. Uh, I, I can't call a baby at night. I'm going to have to figure this out. But do you know how nice it was during the day not to have a phone ringing or a text coming through or an email or social media or something? And it was like, you know, I really could get way, way more into this than I probably should. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, my, my former business partner, you know, he's uh, done well in some of his investments and stuff and hasn't done stupid things like writing kids books that kind of failed for me. But, you know, he's, he's set. And, and it's really funny. Ever since we have sold the Primos and we did our four years, I stayed on board for eight or nine. But, you know, after four years, which was his contract track, uh, agreement, that his voicemail has always been full. And you can call it no matter what. And uh, he'll, he'll just, he'll just, you'll hear it. Uh, a voicemail cannot take any messages at this time. <laughs> he he keeps it that way. He doesn't want a voicemail. He doesn't want to be obligated to have to get back to somebody. They'll send him a text if they want him to call him. Well, I can't say what they call that, but isn't there a movie out where they call it that uh, the uh 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 uh-uh money? Uh, I can't say the word on his podcast, but uh, you know, it, it's basically the money where you you've got enough that you don't have to 
worry about uh-huh. it anymore. Yep. I agree with you 100%. I'm not in that category. I, uh, I wrote a couple me of kids' books. And, yeah. <laughs> I, I work for a living. Well, you know, I mean, do we call this work anymore? I mean, this is uh, – you're, you're doing something that's – the day is fantastic. I love this. <laughs> yes, the business meetings, conference calls, the email, nine million emails you work through a day. Yeah, it's, it gets out of control. You're just exhausted at the end of the day. That's why fishing. That's why. That's why there is fishing. I come to that conclusion. <laughs> well, and GSM Outdoors does not have any. Did they have any fishing products? I haven't seen any yet. I don't know if I've no, missed that or. I think they're going to come out with a line of muddy marine, really nice pedestal seats, so on and so forth, coolers, so on. Um, I, I, I can't, you cannot hold me to that. I can neither confirm or deny. I've heard rumors of it. But no baits, um, no rods, no, no boats, no, nothing on the, on the agenda yet that you're able to announce? No, none that, that I would know of. Um, it'd be nice if they did, considering I'm about ready to run down to Southern Illinois and pick up a boat. It'd be nice to know if we're going to buy a boat company. That'd be handy. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be convenient to know wouldn't it yeah that'd be a, you know <laughs> employee discount i might take my hands on and say okay we yeah. are yeah i'm actually going to use this discount now mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but talking about products there's one uh one particular or one one company within gsm we want to talk about today right keith that is it birchwood casey birchwood casey you know i was actually skimming through there a while ago looking at looking at some of their products and uh Actually, a little bit more familiar with them than what I thought that I was <laughs> when it comes to uh, to the you know the style of the bottle of the uh, of the gun cleaning you know the choke tube grease and all that. I'm like, man, this is something I know, and it seems pretty frequent when you dig into these companies uh, within GSM that you probably I think Jacob missed you probably a little bit more familiar with them than what you think you are. Exactly, yeah, especially this one. Um, you know, when we acquired Birchwood, which would have been two Januaries ago, I didn't realize I had been cleaning all my guns my whole life, you know, being an avid duck hunter and dealing with, you know, wet guns and so on. I've been using their products since I was, a, you know, like seven, eight year old. My dad's teaching me how to clean guns. And I had been shooting shoot and see targets when they came out with those, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago. I thought they were the coolest things in the world to plank with a 22 and see this, you know, yellow spatter and stuff like that. And it was, it was just, it was incredible. All of a sudden, this is the company. But the things that you don't think about with this company are its metal target lines. And today with the, the love of ARs and the love of gongs and long distance shooting and, you know, some of these rifles that, that reach out, you know, a thousand meters or whatever, Birchwood Casey has some of the most incredible gong, different styles, interactive targets uh Brittany jill i know who you you guys i think got this all tied together with me with uh her and i did a a filming of a dueling tree it's a pistol tree and you have i think there's six paddles on it and it's your job to knock them over to her side and it's her job to knock it over to your side you kind of have this competitive race you know of, of who's going to keep them on what side and there's targets like that that just make shooting fun. I mean, you don't have to go reset things. You know, you fire wherever you're at. You move these things. The plates spin over. There's spinner targets that, that does that stuff. I mean, we even got, uh, there's, it might sound morbid, but there's a hostage one. Basically what it is, it's a metal silhouette. 
that has a automatic reloading um, little plate up on its shoulder and it's a little paddle target but it's a it's a steel plate so you can shoot you know your whatever guns you want to at it and they're heavy magnums and then it's got this little plate on the shoulder which resets itself so i mean there's so much fun stuff to, to do and you know you take these little spinner kits out and you take your kids out you know and, and we got them from air guns all you know lots of 22 things and go out with your kids and rather than just shoot a piece of paper you know, let them hear the ting. Let them see the, you know, the pallet spin on these things and, and get them interesting. But, you know, those were the things I did not know that was Birchwood Casey. You know, I, I would be the first one to admit it that all I ever, I didn't even know it was Birchwood Casey when I was doing it, cleaning my guns. But it, most people have cleaned a gun, have used Birchwood Casey. And oh, no doubt. I mean, just, just looking at some of it, uh, I know I've used it for, for sure. And uh, you talk about the, the sight and see targets that, um, you know, I saw it been fun with the kids. You know, you sit there and shoot, and then they're well, did I hit it? Did I hit it? And then you, you, you know, you put a, a shoot and see target up there, and you know, you can definitely tell when you know when the kid hits it. You know, it'll it'll brighten up, and you know, pretty interactive for them to to be able to you know throw a target out there twenty thirty yards twenty two and sit there and blink and oh. you know light the whole thing up. You know, oh, it, it's just it's it's a fabulous way of interactiveness, and and that's what you know. What, what are we in in this day and time? You know, nobody's patient for anything. Everybody wants instant gratification, some kind of form of entertainment, and these shoot-and-see targets are perfect for it. You know, like you said, you squeeze the trigger, you see the yellow come through on the target. It, it's super handy, but it's entertaining. My, my little daughter shoots our little uh, Remington, uh, it's a yellow jacket, it's a thumb-hole little wooden stock on a little twenty-two autoloader. And I put a shoot-and-see targets out there at maybe 50 yards away or 25 yards, and she just destroys these things. And, you know, it's because she's getting to see it. If you just shot paper and it poked holes, you got to walk up there to go, oh, I shot pretty good, or what What was this, you know? And it's, it's just a neat way. But you, you get into these steel targets and these spinner targets and these throw-on-the-ground self-healing ones, and you can actually have a lot of fun and a lot of safe fun but you get you get kids interested in it, you know, or new people like my wife. She just got into shooting a handgun a few years ago, and some of these targets and some of the the uh, dueling trees, uh, she's had a blast with. Well, I'm yeah, then, I'm seeing yeah, a competition yeah, right now. Real. I'm seeing a competition right now. Uh, you know, you you <laughs> said you and Brittany did the dueling tree back and forth. I think me and Jeremy need to probably have a reenactment and see if we. It, it may be really good. It may be really bad. Yeah, if you go, go onto our website and you go into targets, and when you click on that link right there, it's on the top. It's the World Targets Handgun Dueling Tree Target System. And it's expensive, but it's well-made. I mean, and, and it's angled down, so all the ricochets and everything are landing in the ground there, so you don't have to worry about any injury. It is, it is a fun, fun, fun way of challenging, you know, your buddy. I can see some heated arguments getting going on this, a little wagering going on between well, you two. I can, I can say if it's going to come to a handgun, it better be a big target. Well, that was one of the me me with a handgun. I don't know if I don't know if Jacob ever seen me shoot a handgun or not, but I am I am not the world's greatest handgun shooter. Now, give me a shotgun, on the other hand, I'm I'm pretty handy, but the uh, the handgun I can I can easily be whooped whooped in that game. Why do you think I was throwing this competition out there so fast? <laughs> uh-huh. Something that's going to, stuff that would take us two or three hours to accomplish. <laughs> we may have to have a couple uh, rehearsal practices before we get into it live. 
And we yeah, may we have enough, we better not film our first try. Well, and we may <laughs> have to edit the videos, three or four of them together, to make it look like it's a little better, better go with it anyway. So, well, they, they, I, just, I I didn't know this. You think I should know every product we have, but we have twenty three companies. We offer that dueling tree in a twenty two rim fire. And you want to talk about having some fun? Put two of your kids out there with a little scope on each one on an auto loader and see who can put oh, the, pal- yeah. the pallets on the other side. Yeah. Yeah, talking about some bricks of twenty two getting spent pretty quick, huh? <laughs> talk about dad's talk about dad's thumb wearing out loading loading auto loaders oh, real yeah. fast. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's that's uh those little lever actions, that's a that's a neat thing to train kids on. You dump a whole bunch down the tube, you don't have to wear your finger out and they can run that, that lever fifteen, sixteen times. And I'll tell you what's a cool target that they have is uh is the um the battleship target have you seen that one? Oh yeah yeah that's pretty cool i i could see uh i could see some some kids wanting to wanting to get in competition let's see who can who can sink each other you think kids these days even know what battleship is no they're not no. <laughs> no i said if you sat there said i sank your battleship they'd be like huh? what <laughs> i don't know i mean uh luke has the battleship game and I sat down and watched Midway last night, which I admit none of the kids stayed up and watched it with me. But you know, you could you could have a carrier, a battleship conversation there. So they might, you may have to, we may have to change it to something else uh, other than battleship. They may have to have a floating ball that sinks or something. Yeah. If they're looking for a new product to design, <laughs> it's got to explode. It's got tannerite in it at the end. <laughs> Fifty direct hits, it explodes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you got to get, your, it, get you your money's know, worth. Even, out of even it. too, you know, with the with the uh, the self defense world, you know, becoming more popular and needed, I would say in this day and time, you know, there's <laughs> self self defense targets that that Birchwood Casey has as well. Oh yeah, and you got the the shoot and see. We've got um, there's a 3D target we have out now, which is a, a human uh, upper body torso uh, but we're going to have it with some other products that come out and, and just shooting these 3d cardboard it is fantastic to you know like a shoot see i'll show you with yellow you know where you're hitting but shooting and punching holes in these three-dimensional cardboard leave that dark hole in them and they're so easy to identify and it, it really does i just did two videos on shooting the human um upper torso and on, on you know none of us want to be to this position but announcing prevention goes a long ways, and, it, and if we ever have to draw our weapon to protect our family or ourselves or a loved one, you, you've got to have a little bit of, of practice in you on how you might deal with that situation. And in this day, just like you said, Jeremy, in this day and time, it, it's not out of the realm. No, no, not at all. Well, not at all. You know, following along the same line, we got into several law enforcement folks in this area we got into doing a three-gun competition several years ago and mm-hmm. the targets and i think some of the targets they had were probably some of the birchwood kc targets but it was so neat to go through different courses and and especially when you're shooting with people that that may have to do this you know for real in life you know you've got highway yeah. patrol you've got police officers you had some swat team that were there you had military that were there when we were there and you know, watching how effectively they did things compared to someone like myself who doesn't do this on a regular basis, it, it was just a really neat learning experience and a, and a great time to go and spend with those guys. And 
and not only that, just the handling of my weapon itself and addressing a target or a threat, you know, if you're saying, you know, a real-world scenario, it was just, you know, it was really eye-opening to see what, what different techniques and different things that each one did to, to help them be more successful at it. One of my favorite group of people are, are police officers, and I tip my hat to all the first responders, you know, especially the military and whatever, but from anybody from a grocery store, you know, cashier to, to law enforcement, but police officers own a very dear place in my heart. And I've got some great friends that uh, are dealing with what we're dealing with right now. And, you know, you really need to go out and, and do things with these guys or take a defense class where you can learn exactly like you're saying, that you can handle a gun in the proper way, that you're familiar with unholstering it, you know, that, that you know, you get familiar with your gun where it's just, you know, it's an extension of your hand. And once you get to that point, nobody knows, no, you know, nobody can say, oh, I'm going to do this. Well, yeah, you'll see what you do when you do it, you know. I used to say all the time that I could hit Mike Dunn's fastball, but, you know, I'd hit it about once every seven swings. You know, and so you know, cockiness <laughs> is just removed completely when you deal with that. But getting the right training and getting used to uh, that weapon and one weapon and just get comfortable with it. You know, I've got my Smith uh, 40, and it's one of those um, uh, that came from the performance centers, fluted barrel, whatever, seven, five and a half, I think, inch barrel. It shoots for me like no other, and I don't care to have another handgun. That That is an extension of my hand, and I, I love it. And But I got to shoot with so many great law enforcement agents that, I mean, they're good, you know, and you learn a lot from them, you know. Put your ego aside and, and actually learn, you know. It's, 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 it can be done. Well, and, you know, whether it's addressing a target, shooting the target, or just, like I say, just handling your firearm in a more efficient manner, uh, mm-hmm. you know, loading and unloading, safetying, holstering, the whole thing comes into play where, you know, the normal everyday citizen doesn't think about that. Uh, and these guys and gals do it on a daily basis. And, yeah, my hat was off to them. And, and I learned a lot by doing it. And, you know, going back to Birchwood Casey, you know, with this product line – of targets you don't have to go and do it in that same setting you can do it at home at your leisure and you can like you say you can make it a family event you can get kids involved and you know have competitions and have a good time doing it and you know so you're not you're not just buying a one-time target a paper target that you go down there and have to say like you say you have to go change you can you can do this this is a repetitive deal that you can do time and again for years to come and if you want to change it change it if you're not then you know keep working with the same one yeah it, it's you have to get familiar with it and once you are uh, you're leaps ahead of the people that aren't, you know, I, I watch it right now in this day and time. I'm very good friends with the wilderness right down here. They're an archery and gun shop and they're selling like 50 handguns a day. And with that being said, I can go down there and talk to the, the salespeople and they're like 90% of these people have never even squeezed a round off and they're, they're buying guns. And those are those people that you go, Oh, please <laughs> go get some kind of training, you know? The, the, the worst thing in the world is a person holding a gun that doesn't know what he wants to do with it or he's not holding it or, or, you know, addressing it properly. And those are the things, you know, as simple as keeping your muzzle safe. 
you know, so those are those people that you go, please go, you know, go get some training, go shoot on the range, get, get by somebody, somebody will help you, you know. Well, and keeping muzzle safe, that's, you know, a handgun is one of the most easy to manipulate in such a short time. You know, you, you can be pointed in the right direction, be pointed in the wrong direction in no time flat. Uh, you know, if Jeremy and I duck on a lot and you do too. You know, if you're in a duck blind with new people, people you're not familiar with, I'm very cautious on keeping an eye on where everybody's at and where their gun's at. Uh, oh, yeah. You, know, you shoot at 10 and 2. You do not swing over people's head. You don't shoot behind anybody. Stay in your lane. And uh, it will get you taken out of a blind if you're not doing right. So uh, uh, oh, I would yeah. much rather have somebody mad at me than have somebody, you know, we're having to attend a funeral for. So That's exactly it. But a handgun, exactly when it. you start fooling you can with never, it, you can't be safe enough. You know, that's that's the word. No, and you know, not knocking it, but I I don't know if if Wisconsin has gotten this way, but now you can get your your gun safety, your your hunter's ed online, to where like when we were growing up, you had to go to a class, you had to have an yep. officer address everything. Now you can get it online, and I'm not. You know, I know it's more efficient. It's 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 easier for everybody to do and to be able to to be able to get that and try to get more people into hunting. But I still wish that we were doing the hands-on training more, uh, just I so that, that people do actually get proper tutelage and not just read through and answer some questions and hope they get them right. Well, Colorado, when when we started the business out in, in uh, Loveland, Colorado, back in 1993. Uh, you had to take a bow hunter ed class in order to bow hunt the mountains. And I, I still remember to this day that one of the coolest things was is the last day of class. It was a five-day course. And the last day was like four nights and a Saturday. And you come in there on the last day, and they had this grid of rubber bands, um, you know, pegboarded rubber bands. They made a crisscross, real tight grid. And he had everybody bring in your broadhead of choice. And our instructor, Dan Hansen or Dan Larson, um, he would take your broadhead and he would push it down through those rubber bands really slowly. And if you didn't cut any rubber bands, you didn't pass the course. Uh, you were supposed to have your broadhead sharp, uh, hunting sharp is what he called it. And luckily for me, and believe it or not, it's just a coincidence, but I, I was shooting Thunderheads. And right out of the box, those are, you know, diamized blades that are honed to the <laughs> extremes. And mine cut like five rubber bands going on. I, I never felt so relieved in my life. But I watched so many people take broadheads and have him try to push it down. He tried to get them to pass. You know, he'd take them one or two times. And, you know, they weren't going to pass that course because they were taking stuff out to the field. That wasn't, and that's that hands-on training. You know, that's what you want with a gun. You know, and this was this was a bow hunting course, and, and to this day, I, I think everybody should have that. I think I think that's what you need. You know, it's you, you're taking a risk or you're taking a life of something if you're bow hunting, and why not show respect to whatever it is, whether it be showing respect to that weapon, your friends, your family, or an animal you're going to take. You have to know what you're doing, and it has to be a hands-on experience. Oh, without without a doubt, without a doubt. I mean, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to use equipment to where you shoot an animal, you're not going to recover it. I mean, that's that's not what we're out there for. So, 
you know, not only for the safety, but you know, the, the, the respect you have for the animal as well. Well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to go back. I think I started bow hunting when I was probably 13 and I do not remember any safety class whatsoever. It was a, a, you know, fired 10 arrows out in the yard, got comfortable, (laughs) thought I was good to go and off I went. Uh, yeah, that's what it was for me. <laughs> you know, and not only safety of shooting, but safety getting up and down a tree. You know, all of that has advanced so much over the years that, you know, at best we had a – I mean, I remember using a car seat belt as my safety climbing belt. We we took one out of an old car and sewed it together, and that was my safety belt that basically wrapped around me in the tree. But you could fall through it if you weren't <laughs> – holding <laughs> holding it just right yeah well yeah. at least you had some kind of attempt at safety and there was finger or tabs or that if you, if you ever had to use it liable to break you back mm-hmm. yeah just snap you in half squeeze the guts yeah. out of you mm-hmm. right sounded good but you know <laughs> value value effort there is no telling how many animals that we had to trail a long long way or we found the next day and hopefully it was cold enough because, you know, poor shot placement, not knowing, you know, not knowing anywhere near what I know now. And I'm not an expert by any means. I'm I'm successful quite often, but still wouldn't say I'm an expert at it. But, you know, it would have been nice to have had. But, you know, grew up in a family. Daddy didn't bow hunt. Uh, he had a bow. So once we got where we could draw it out, draw it back, it was, you know, have at it, get to it, and go have fun. Uh, we'll see you after dark. <laughs> Yep. Wish you lots of luck and success. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think that's a good a good segue to a future show is I'll get Chris Duncan on here. He came over with the Muddy Acquisition, which was Muddy, Hawk, and Big Game, Tree Stands, and, and Box Blinds. He is one of the most knowledgeable humans I know as far as safety goes and addresses it you know he has two wonderful little children and a great wife and and he just he plays it safe he plays it smart but he kills giant deer you know but when he teaches you about how you use safe lines and how you use this climbing belt and how you do this and that you know with this prusik knot and stuff like that you know that's stuff that you don't even really know and of course i've spent my whole life hunting out of a ground blind so if i fall out of my seat i fall 16 inches onto the ground but you know, and then, then it's just because I fell asleep in the blind. But uh, the times that I've hunted out of a tree stand, I've done things incorrectly. You know, I've been safe and I, I get up there and I'm tied in. But I, I've never paid attention to the right technique. So I'd love to have Chris on here and he can touch base with you. He's just a super knowledgeable man as far as tree stands go. Oh, that would be awesome because oh, I've got some yeah, stories I want to run by him to see how bad I did do it. Uh, yeah, because yeah, that, that, and I mean, you know, we probably, unfortunately, all of us know someone that was, you know, injured as a result of a fall or incorrectly using, you know, equipment. And, you know, safety to me is, is very important in, you know, everything we do. But, you know, you take something that we all enjoy, like hunting, and then it turns into, you know, an injury. You know, that's, uh, it, it not yeah. only, you know, impacts you probably for the rest of your life, but, you know, also gives everyone else a complex of, you know, why were you even doing that in the first place, you know? Yeah, I've, I've seen and been around so many of them being in this industry. And, of course, it's always hush-hush because nobody wants any kind of that information to get out. But, you know, we had a rep, young rep, that had, I think, three boys. And he fell 
Um, he didn't fall to the ground. His foot got hung, and uh, God rest his soul, he hung upside down until you suffocate. You know, you can only go so long before your your guts and everything compress your lungs, and oh, you know wow. you, you suffocate. He he could not lift himself up to get his foot unwedged, and that's how they found him. And, you know, like I said, God rest his soul. I mean, I, it, you never want that kind of tragedy to happen. But, you know, good Lord, when it happens around you, you should never repeat that mistake. I mean, you know, we're always got to learn from our own mistakes. But, well, I tell you what, you lose somebody you care about or somebody becomes paralyzed. And you're a moron if you go out there and you don't use that safety, you know, product the way it should be, you know. Absolutely. Well, if you've ever, I mean, the big thing when I was growing up was lock-ons and climbing spurs. And we would, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes we welded our own. And don't laugh, we actually welded our own climbing spurs. Oh, yeah. And then we have, you know, got them from, you know, different power company employees that, you know, they were getting rid of an old pair, you know, no longer safe to climb on poles, but it was fine for a tree. Well, you climb a pine tree and you hit a loose piece of bark and sometimes you can go for one really interesting ride and you know looking back over my childhood and some of the things that we pulled off as kids it's like how did we ever live through that we should have been you know using climbing stands and the bottom falls out from under you while you're 25 feet in air it, it makes it real interesting trying to figure out how you're going to maneuver your way under it and click yourself down while you leg lock the tree as you go um uh-huh been there with my bow still attached to me because i didn't have enough sense to drop it down with a line you know it's just those things that you think back and go how, how did i make it through that uh, the first time yeah. we were going to ever film as kids i took a guy with me and we had the you know the big camera that you basically it takes two people to pick up and put on your shoulder you know one of those that your parents <laughs> filmed your high school ball games with and we decided to put two climbing stands in the same tree. Mm -hmm. Well, that was great, except for we didn't have the mechanics of it figured out. It was one of those where, you know, he needed to climb up first and then let me strap everything on and climb up second. No, we decided we'd put them on and try to climb up together. <laughs> it, a horrible idea. So, yeah, I would love to get him on and just, you know, hear how how we need to be properly doing it and let all of our listeners hear how, you know, the anything that educates them anybody that if it'll save one life it's worth you it know, going through every time life's precious and i tell you what man you you think you're invincible it will bite you well i've kind of i've kind of been known to have that analogy a lot of times where i thought i was 10 foot tall and bulletproof i'm trying to get better as i age but i'm not going to say it always works that way <laughs> Well, that's a, that's a good segue, you know, because last, last week did we talk about my Gatorade bottles saving my We did, life? we did. Am I? Okay, and I told you before I left, I was going to tell you about flipping motorcycles and breaking ribs and, and stuff. I got, you guys got a minute? Yeah, uh, go ahead. Tell this, this story? Yeah, yeah, we got about 10 more minutes or so. Okay. So, August 12th, the uh, first uh, caribou hunt that I'm going on in my life would, would have been about August 21st. So, this is August 12th. Uh, hunting around my house there in Elk River, Minnesota, where I lived over there before I moved over here to Wisconsin, putting up blinds, getting our food plots ready, and all excited about it. And I used to race motocross, and, and I had this thing called a little bit of a chaotic brain at times. I don't really think things through. And a buddy of mine came out there on a brand-new 450 Enduro. 
And he's like, you want to ride it, don't you, Beamer? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to ride it. Uh-huh. Yep. He's like, well, have at it. He said, we'll, uh, we'll go meet you at the farmhouse here. So we're going to take the farm field out, and then we're going to uh, cut across there. Well, we just planted food plots, and, you know, they, I think they just planted uh, one of their fall crops or something like that. So they said, just rip across the field. You know, you'll be fine. So I'm ripping across the field. I see them turn. They're heading towards the farm, and it's a 450 Enduro. This is a fast machine. I pulled wheelie in this thing, and I'm like, wow, this is great. And I hit second gear. I'm still in this wheelie. And I, I said, well, yeah, he's coming down. There's nothing going to happen in, in third gear. You know, I'm doing about 80 miles an hour now in a wheelie stand through a field. And I I, I hit it uh, going into the next gear, and it shot out from under me. Well, it's a brand-new bike, so I'm in this panic. Everything's in slow motion like any car accident you've ever been. And I pulled the bike back on me thinking I would kind of brace it from really getting destroyed. Well, it lit, and it, it uh, tore my meniscus and my knee and bent it back and burnt the daylights out of me on the pipe. But it landed into my shoulder, and it pile-drived my shoulder into the dirt. And I had already had shoulder surgery one time for impingement surgery, but when the guys come running out there to me, I was about half unconscious, you know, because it looked like a, a UFO had landed in this cloud field. <laughs> and it was just like this track yeah, mark, you know, and I didn't flip. It just, I held the bike on me and we slid. And I tried to jump up right away and I was about half unconscious. I looked over and you remember Mel Gibson, the first one on Lethal Weapon, his shoulder would come out of joint, right? And he had to put it back in. Well, that's what I was looking at. My shoulder was like three and a half inches below where it should be. And so I... I got up to the truck and I set my fingers up there and I was just kind of working around what popped and it goes back into place, right? And I'm about ready to black out now. And uh, they come up to me and they're like, you got to get cleaned up. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You said you said you had to do a, a seminar at Gander Mountain at 1230. Well, now it's like 11, right? I can't even walk. I'm shaking. My shoulder's now been put back into place by myself. And I go there, and Brooks, my business partner, came there with me, and, and he's like, we're going to go to the emergency room. You, you'll get somebody else to talk through this. So I go there, and they do a full body scan because they want to look for internal injuries. And they find out that I, I tore three out of my four rotator cuff tendons in my shoulder, and I ripped my meniscus on there, but no internal bleeding. So the doctor's sitting there, and he looks at me, and he goes, we need to schedule surgery. And we need to get you fixed up right away. And I said, <laughs> 10 days from now, I'm going caribou hunting. And uh, then I also drew my Iowa deer tag, which is a three-year adventure to get one. And that's in November. I would just like to have painkillers until I'm through those seasons. And then I will come in and get fixed. So this is before the opiate thing, you know, where this is probably 1999, let's say. And so I'm taking Vicodin like they're candy. And I get back to the house, and, and I'm going to shoot my bow to see if I can go on this caribou hunt. And I shoot, my shoulder falls out of place again. So I know that if I sit there and pry it on the truck, I can get it to go back in. Well, it goes back in. I said, good enough. I'm going caribou hunt. I can't walk very well, but I'm going caribou hunt. And I get up there, and we hit the migration perfectly. There's 11 of us in camp, and believe it or not, even with my gimped body, uh, we killed 22 really nice bulls, and it was just a spectacular hunt. Well, the big wow. bull that I killed the last day was a very funny nemesis because here he comes, just these giant palms. His rack was big enough. It's like rocking when he takes steps. 
comes out of the river or comes out of the lake and he's walking past me and I zip him, you know, and I'm so excited. And I get over there and, you know, I'm limping coming up to him. And of course my shoulder fell out of place when I shot both my bowls. I had to put it back in place. I'm up there and I'm telling the story, you know, for a TV show about how I persevered through this. My dad would be so proud, you know, that I'm not whining about this stuff. And so we caped it out. We got the quarters on and I've got the cape and the horns and the head on my back. And I'm going to take some beautiful pictures of this. Right. So I get up there. I said, let's get closer to this edge of this lake and I'll, I'll keep doing it. So I got my bow in my hand. I've got the caribou on my back on this backpack. And it's just this beautiful picture. Just great scenery. Well, when caribou come off the lake, they make all the rocks wet. And I'm up on this edge about 12 feet above the rock pile where they come out of the, the lake. And I slipped. Okay. I slipped mm. and, and my leg, <laughs> my other leg was tucked underneath me. And thank goodness, just like the Gatorade, thank goodness there was boingy horns, antlers off the backside <laughs> of me because I hit and it just blew all the air out of me. And I, I looked up over here and, and I remember me talking about the Gatorade thing and my bow and all my arrows being bent. Well, this all my carbon arrows were just shattered. My bow was unstrung again. That's twice that I've fallen, you know, and done this. I know my legs broke, okay, and I can't breathe. And I'm sitting there. Well, they had gone to get the meat, and it, it's probably about a 40-minute walk back. While I'm laying there, I'm gasping for air. I really think this is it. I think the good Lord has come to take me. Uh, I'm looking up the river, up this lake right there at sunset, and I, I'm just seriously just – I'm coming to, to terms with I'm dying. And I, I, I know I shattered just a whole bunch of ribs and I can't do this. And they get there and I, I ask them to go back and get some Vicodin and, and don't take this to heart, people, because this is not really a medical study that you should do. And I said, bring back that vial of Crown and my Vicodin. I know you're not supposed to combine these, okay? <laughs> I took a bunch of them and drank some and I, the, the uh, guide got me out in the water because my ribs were swelling up and my leg was just instantly ballooned, looked like a basketball. And so he got me out in this water. This water's like 36 degrees, 37 degrees, you know, up there in the Arctic. And I'm sitting out there until the swelling and pain's going down. Vicodin's hitting me, little crowns hitting me, you know. I get in the boat and that's all I remember. I remember waking up <laughs> as they're loading me onto a plane and they're flying me home. Um, I'm all loaded, all my gear, everything, my video cameras, tripods. These guys have done everything for me. God, they're, they're a wonderful bunch of guys. And I get into Minneapolis. Well, I'm by myself, right? And they flew me out early. And I got to go through customs. I can't walk. I can't carry anything. And I have a cart with two caribou that are wrapped in plastic bags because they didn't even have a chance to freeze. They're just wrapped in garbage bags, you know, so they don't bleed out in them. And they're all the velvet's still on them and whatever, you know, and I got all my equipment and I'm pushing a cart where I can barely get through customs and I get through customs and I'm in so much pain. I can't see straight and I get out there. I'm to the parking lot and I had bought a hard top tonneau cover from my Chevy and my caribou horns would not fit in there. Now I'm trying to lift these up and I know that there's something really bad with my ribs going on and I know my legs broke. And I'm trying to get them in there. I can't get them in there. I get the smaller one in there. I, the tonneau cover is just going to sit open. Well, I'm going to try to put this one in my crew cab and get it and twist it around into the passenger seat. So I'm grunting and groaning trying to put this thing in the back of my car or my truck. And the lady goes, sir, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I just messed up my ribs and my leg. I'll be okay. She's like, no, 
no, you're bleeding really bad. And I'm like, oh, that's new. So, so far I haven't bled on this trip. Okay? <laughs> that's now, new. I'm bleeding, now I'm bleeding really bad. And I look down in the bag that is the, the, the caribou. Head, yeah, that is between my legs. And from her being straight behind me. So this thing's sitting right between my legs. And I'm pouring blood out of my crotch. That's what it appears to be for her. And, and I look down and I start laughing. Well, it hurts to laugh. I'm like, <laughs> I'll be okay. And she's like, no, I'm calling 911. No, don't do that. I'm fine. I'll be good. <clears throat> to this day, I know I have scarred her. She knows somebody died in that airport. And, and she didn't call 911. So I call my wife. And I say... <clears throat> I'm going to stop by the emergency room again. And we didn't have a satellite phone up there. I hadn't talked to her. I got back in the truck. I had a bag phone. And uh, she's like, what'd you do? And I said, I broke a bunch of ribs in my leg. I fell like 12 feet on the rocks. She's like, oh my God, you are the most accident prone person in the world. So <laughs> I check into the emergency room. And guess who my ER doctor is? The same one that same saw, one. Me like, saw me like 12 days before. And he is like, what is up with you, man? He's like, you are the luckiest person in the world. So if you remember my conversation about the Gatorade bottles and that guy telling me the luckiest person in the world, this guy's telling me the luckiest person in the world. So guess what, guys? You got to be the luckiest person in the world. I'm the luckiest person in the world. I did. <laughs> I broke five ribs and uh, had a little stress fracture on, on my uh, front of my shin, and it just bruised and blew that up. But. You know, wow. again, take into consideration I had my shoulders out of place and and, and my knees. And you tw- you fell twelve feet into rocks with a caribou on your, you know, part of yeah. the caribou on your yeah. back. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I I've got the picture too. Right before I fell, um, set set my camera up on a self timing. That was the days of the SLRs. You know, did this and it. And I took one step. I was going. Boom. Well, Beaver, look, man, we're out of time for this one. As always, we enjoyed it. We'll be uh, we'll be coming up with something else next week. But, man, we're going to cut this one off. And, everybody, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Outdoor Country Talk. God bless. God bless. Well, ain't nothing like a southern night. Lord, to make you feel all right. I got the windows down. I got the radio on.